Good afternoon and welcome back. Thank you for joining me uh, for chapter 19 in five go to smugglers top. <gasps> wow. Well, let's find out what's happening to Uncle Quentin and Sooty. In chapter 19, called Mr. Barling Talks. Ooh. So, meantime, what was happening to Uncle Quentin and Sooty? Many strange things. Uncle Quentin had been gagged and drugged so that he could neither struggle nor make any noise when Mr. Barling had crept so unexpectedly into his room. It was easy to drop him down the hole in the window seat. He fell with a thud that bruised him considerably. Then poor Sooty had been dropped down too, and after them had come Mr. Barling, climbing deftly down by the help of the niches in the sides. Someone else was down there to help Mr. Barling, not Block, who had been left to screw down the window seat so that no one might guess where the victims had been taken, but a hard-faced servant belonging to Mr. Barling. Had to bring this boy too. It's Lenoir's son, said Mr. Barling, snooping about in the room. Well, it will serve Lenoir right for working against me. The two were half carried, half dragged down the long flight of steps and taken into the tunnels below. Mr. Dar Barling stopped and took a ball of string from his pocket. He tossed it to his servant. Here you are. Tie the end to that nail over there and let the string unravel as we go. I know the way quite well, but Block doesn't, and he'll be coming along to feed food, bring food to our couple of prisoners tomorrow. Don't want him to lose his way. <clears throat> we can tie the string up again just before we get to the place I'm taking them to so that they won't see it and use it to escape by. The servant tied the string to the nail that Mr Barling pointed out and then, as he went along, he let the ball unravel. The string would then serve as a guide to anyone not knowing the way. Otherwise it would be very dangerous to wander about in the underground tunnels for some of them ran for miles. After about eight minutes the little company came to a kind of rounded cave set inside of a big but rather low tunnel. Here had been put a bench with some rugs, a box to serve as a table and a jug of water. Nothing else. Sooty by now was coming round from his blow on the head. The other prisoner, however, still lay unconscious, breathing heavily. No good talking to him, said Mr Barling. He won't be all right till tomorrow. We'll come and talk to him then. I'll bring Block. Sooty had been put on the floor. He suddenly sat up, oh, and put his hand to his aching head. He couldn't imagine where he was. He looked up and saw Mr Barling and then suddenly remembered everything. 
but how had he got here in this dark cave? Mr Barling, he said, what's all this? What did you hit me for? Why have you brought me here? Punishment for a small boy who can't keep his nose out of things that don't concern him, said Mr Barling in a horrid, sarcastic voice. You'll be company for our friend on the bench there. He'll sleep till the morning, I'm afraid. You can tell him all about it then and say I'll be back to have a little heart-to-heart talk with him. And see here, Pierre, you do know, don't you, the foolishness of trying to wander about these old passages. I've brought you to a little-known one. And if you want to lose yourself and never be heard of again, well, try wandering about, that's all. Sooty looked pale. He did know the danger of wandering about those lost old tunnels. This one he was in, he was sure he didn't know at all. He was about to ask a few more questions when Mr Barling turned quickly on his heel and went off with his servant. They took the lantern with them and left the boy in darkness. He yelled after them, Hi, you beasts, leave me a light. But there was no answer. So he heard the footfalls going further and further away. And then there was silence and darkness. The boy felt in his pocket for his torch, but it wasn't there. He had dropped it in his bedroom. He groped his way over to the bench and felt about for George's father. He wished he would wake up. It was horrid to be there in the darkness. And it was cold too. So he crept under the rugs and cuddled close to the unconscious man. He longed with all his heart for him to wake up. From somewhere there sounded the drip, drip, drip of water. After a time, Sooty couldn't bear it. He knew it was only drips dripping off the roof of the tunnel in a damp place. But he couldn't, felt he couldn't bear it. Drip, 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 drip. If only it would stop. I'll have to wake George's father up, thought the boy desperately. I must talk to someone. He began to shake the sleeping man, wondering what to call him, for he didn't know his surname. He couldn't call him George's father. And then he remembered that the other, the others called him Uncle Quentin. And he began yelling the name in the ma- drugged man's ear. Uncle Quentin, Uncle Quentin, wake up. Do wake up. Oh, won't you please wake up? Uncle Quentin stirred at last. He opened his eyes in the darkness and listened to the urgent voice in his ear, feeling faintly puzzled. Uncle Quentin, wake up and speak to me. I'm scared, said the voice. Uncle Quentin! The man thought vaguely that it must be Julian or Dick. He put his arm around Sooty and dragged him close to him. It's all right. Go to sleep. He said, what's the matter, Julian? Or is it Dick? Oh, go to sleep. He fell asleep again himself, for he was still half drugged. But Sooty felt a bit more comforted now. He shut his eyes, feeling certain that he couldn't possibly go to sleep. 
but he did, almost at once. He slept soundly all through the night and was only awakened by Uncle Quentin moving on the bench. The puzzled man was amazed to find his bed so unexpectedly hard. He was even more amazed to find someone in bed with him, for he remembered nothing at all. He stretched out his hand to switch on the reading lamp, which had been beside his bed the night before. But it wasn't there. Strange. He felt about and touched Sooty's face. What was this beside him? He began to feel extremely puzzled. Oh, he felt ill too. What could have happened? Are you awake? said Sooty's voice. Oh, Uncle Quentin, I'm so glad you're awake. I hope you don't mind me calling you that, but I don't know your surname. I only know you're George's father and Julian's uncle. Well, who are you? said Uncle Quentin in wonder. Sooty began to tell him everything. Uncle Quentin listened in the utmost amazement. But why have we been kidnapped like this? he said, astonished and angry. I never heard of such a thing in my life. Well, I don't know why Mr Barling has kidnapped you, but I know he took me because I happened to see what he was doing, said Sooty. Anyway, he's coming back this morning with Block, and he said he would have a heart-to-heart talk with you. We'll have to wait here, I'm afraid. We can't possibly find our way to safety in the darkness through this maze of tunnels. So, they waited. And, in due course, Mr Barling did come, bringing Block with him. Block carried some food, which was very welcome to the prisoners. You beast, Block, said Sooty at once, as he saw the servant in the light of the lantern. How dare you help in this? You wait till my stepfather hears about it, unless he's in it too. Hold your tongue, said Block. Sooty stared at him. So you can hear, he said. All this time you've been pretending you can't. What a sly fellow you are. What a lot of secrets you must have learned, pretending to be deaf and overhearing all kinds of things not meant for you. You're sly, Block, and you're worse things than that. Oh, whip him, Block, if you like, said Mr. Darling. Barling, I keep saying Darling. Barling, sitting down on the box. I've no time for rude boys myself. Oh, I will, said Block grimly, and he undid a length of rope from around his waist. I've often wanted to, cheeky little worm. Sooty felt alarmed. He leapt off the bench and put up his fists. Oh, let me talk to our prisoner first, said Mr Barling. Then you can give Pierre the hiding he deserves. It will be nice for him to wait for it. Uncle Quentin was listening quietly to all this. He looked at Mr Barling and spoke sternly. You owe me an explanation for your strange behaviour. I demand to be taken to Smuggler's Top. You shall answer to the police for this.
Oh, no, I shan't, said Mr. Barling in a curiously soft voice. I have a very generous proposal to make to you. I know why you've come to Smuggler's Top. I know why you and Mr. Lenoir are so interested in each other's experiments. How do you know, said Uncle Quentin, spying, I suppose. Yes, I bet Block's been spying and reading letters, cried Sooty indignantly. Mr. Barling took no notice of the interruption. Now, my dear sir, he said to Uncle Quentin, I will tell you very shortly what I propose. I know you've heard that I'm a smuggler. I am. I make a lot of money from it. It is easy to run a smuggling trade here because no one can patrol the marshes or stop men using the secret path that only I and a few others know. On favourable nights I send out a signal or rather block here does so for me using the convenient tower of Smuggler's Top. Oh, so it was block, cried Sooty. Then, when the goods arrive, said Mr. Barling, and again at a favourable moment, I uh, dispose of them. I cover my tracks very carefully so that no one can possibly accuse me because they never have any real proof. Why are you telling me all this? said Uncle Quentin scornfully. It's of no interest to me. I'm only interested in a plan for draining the marshes, not in smuggling goods across them. Exactly, my dear fellow, said Mr Barling amiably. I know that. I have even seen your plans and read about your experiments and Mr Lenoir's. But the draining of the marsh means the end of my own business. Once the marsh is drained, once houses are built there and roads made, once the mists have gone, my business goes too. A harbour may be built out there at the edge of the marshes. My ships can no longer creep in unseen, bringing valuable cargoes. Not only will my money go, but all the excitement, which is more than life itself to me, will go too. You're mad, said Uncle Quentin in disgust. Mr. Barling was a little mad. He had always felt a great satisfaction in being a successful smuggler in days when smuggling was almost at an end. He loved the thrill of knowing that his little ships were creeping in the mist towards the treacherous marshes. He liked to know that men were making their way over a small and narrow path over the misty marsh to the appointed meeting place, bringing smuggled goods.
You should have lived a hundred years or more ago, said Sooty, also feeling that Mr Barling was a little mad. You don't belong to nowadays. Mr Barling turned on Sooty, his eyes gleaming dangerously in the light of the lantern. Another word from you and I'll drop you in the marshes, he said. Oh, Sooty felt a shiver go down his back. He suddenly knew that Mr. Barling really did mean what he said. Oh, he was a dangerous man. Uncle Quentin sensed it too. He looked at Mr. Barling, Barling warily. Well, how do I come into this? He asked. Why have you kidnapped me? I know that Mr. Lenoir is going to buy your plans from you, said Mr. Barling. I know he is going to drain the marsh by using your very excellent ideas. You see, I know all about them. I know too that Mr. Lenoir hopes to make a lot of money by selling the land once it is drained. It is all his, that misty marsh, and no use to anyone now except to me. But that marsh is not going to be drained. I am going to buy your plans, not Mr Lenoir. Do you want to drain the marsh then? said Uncle Quentin in surprise. Mr Barling laughed scornfully. No, your plans and the results of your experiments will be burned. They will be mine, but I shall not want to use them. I want the marsh left as it is, secret, covered with mist and treacherous to all but me and my men. So, my dear sir, you will please name your price to me instead of to Mr. Lenoir and sign this document which I have prepared, making over all your plans to me. He flourished a large piece of paper in front of Uncle Quentin. Sooty watched breathlessly. <sighs> Uncle Quentin picked up the paper. He tore it into small pieces. He threw them into Bar Mr. Barling's face and said scornfully, I don't deal with madmen, nor with rogues, Mr. Barling. Oh, dear me. Well, tomorrow we're on chapter 20. We're coming towards the end of the story. So, ooh... Um, I wonder how they're going to find Uncle Quentin and Sooty and whether it will be too late because Mr Barling sounds, well, he just sounds like a nutter, doesn't he? Awful. So, join me tomorrow to find out what Chapter 20 brings. See what happens next. <laughs> Anyway, until then, make sure that you take care and...
stay safe. Have a wonderful day and I'll see you tomorrow. Bye for now.